What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off The Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Nolan Bowerly is the director of research at Coindesk and an early proponent of Bitcoin. In this conversation, we cover Canada's past investigations into the global financial crisis, how Ethereum's ERC-20 standards shook the world, and why humans will use math to talk with aliens. Seriously, he said that. This episode was a lot of fun, and I hope you enjoy it. Before we get started, I want to talk about one of our sponsors, The Grove. As many of you know, branding an online presence is crucial to the crypto space. With so many damn scams out there, it's tough to tell who's legit. The Grove, however, is a full-service creative and design agency that will help you amplify your brand with the perfect website, logo, collateral, or custom design project. Branding isn't just about looking pretty, though, dot, 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 like me. The Grove understands it's about driving revenue. If you want to check out what they're doing, you can go to thegrove.co backslash pomp. Again, that's thegrove.co, not .com, co, new age stuff, thegrove.co backslash pomp. Let's crash their servers and light up the webpage. Let me know when you do it, and I'll shoot you some fire emojis on Twitter. Thegrove.co slash pomp. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, super excited to have Nolan here. Um, Welcome, sir. Happy to be here. Awesome. Uh, We got a lot to cover, so uh, let's jump right in. Um, What is your background? Uh, So I'm trained as a lawyer, uh, but didn't really practice Did a bit of time in Japan. I was actually there for when the white paper was written. Uh, Did you go take the bar? No, I didn't actually. I got the first job out of um, college, basically. Um, you know, I graduated right into the meltdown, so that was a real fun time. And uh, but I got lucky. I got this gig on a on a deal in in Japan and went there for a few months. Um, and then when I came back to Canada, I'm Canadian. Uh, when I came back Sorry. to Canada, <laughs> we, we, we're, we're, we have an oversized influence in this industry. So I understand why everyone's against it. Um, so when I came back to Canada, I became a long form, long uh, study researcher for the Senate Banking Committee in Canada. And we looked into first the meltdown. Um, so we brought in central bankers and why Canada was insulated from it. Um, but really, you know, tackling macroeconomic issues as they related to banking law. Um, All right. Before we go on, hold on. Tell me more about this uh, this investigation or, or research that you guys did into the meltdown. Ah, uh, well, I mean, it was basically it was a bit Canada centric. I'll say it was okay. uh, why were we insulated? Um, so Canada, as a federation, is divided almost the same as America, entirely mm-hmm. inspired by the American distribution of federalism to the states and and federal government, except for one major difference: um, banking law is all federal. Um, done on purpose because we were having trouble financing the railway projects and canals mm. and, and et cetera. So it was really looking at why our banking law was different, why were we insulated. You know, the conservatism we were known for in banking in the 90s and early 2000s ended up being in our advantage. Um, we weren't mortgaged, obviously. We didn't have subprime. It mm-hmm. was, you know, mortgage insurance was a much more important aspect of our economy. Um, but then just looking at the contagion as well, how it how it all came about and, and then why Canada was successful. You saw a buying spree of 
with Canadian banks immediately after. I mean, it's TD Bank is all over New York City now. And, yep. and you see these uh, Canadian brand names that did quite well acquiring distressed American banks. But we definitely did look at the Basel Accords and, and everything else that went on with, with the reaction to the meltdown. Um, and we definitely got into, um, you know, the decisions central bankers made. So mm-hmm. we had the central bankers. We had Mark Carney in to testify several times. Um, um, Carney, of course, was the governor of the Canadian Bank before he went to England. And at that time, you know, he had a lot of interesting things to say and was not pulling any punches. So everyone was sort of uh, um, happy to finally criticize some of the policies that that central bankers were operating under. So we kind of contained that all into a narrative and, and it was focused on Canada for sure. But, you know, global global moves and global changes and, and why that all happened. Did you guys like shit on the Americans when you're doing it? Uh, no, I don't think it was. We, we weren't really after anyone in particular. <laughs> it, it, it was I think the Deutsche Bank guys got the worst of it. It was it, it was the people who jumped jumped in feet first. Uh, I don't think it was uh, it, it it didn't really focus on that part. But the, right. rea- the reaction was a part of it. Like how much quantitative easing was induced by that was mm-hmm. an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have to do it in Canada, so we were definitely looking at what are the effects of of this quantitative easing being. Um, um, you know, it's not just Japan and Europe anymore. It was coming everywhere. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean for us? Um, so that, that was kind of how we looked at it. Um, a year after that, when that one was done, we did one on money laundering and terrorism finance. So basically the uh, FinCEN uh, regime in America. We, we came down to Washington and met the FinCEN folks and, mm-hmm. and had some insight. But that's where I learned about Bitcoin. It was just in one of these passing conversations where someone said, look, we have this regime to, you know, um, catch people if they're using the the $10,000 transactions and and this and that. Um, And one, you know, it was um, um, either from RCMP or FBI or I'm I'm not sure who. They said, and and where do you get a load of this, this Bitcoin thing? Like it's here. Oh, people were using it. They had known about it and were mentioning that the things they were talking about might even be their solutions might even be obsolete in the short term was kind of the lead in because this this is coming down the pipe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they they meant it like as a joke, you know, "Ah, this Bitcoin thing. And I said, well, Bitcoin, what is this? And uh, and so I started learning. Um, And in 2013, when it came time for the sort of selection of a new uh, year long study, Mm -hmm. um, I was uh, right in there to push Bitcoin and we got it. They gave us a really. Yeah, they gave us a nice large budget and uh, and we got to fly everyone in and we brought Andreas Antonopoulos. We brought all kinds of luminaries. I happen to be living in Toronto for most of that time, too. So, um, you know, I would go up when the committee was in session to Ottawa, mm-hmm. our capital. But I was in I was in Toronto a lot, not far from Decentral. I was going to say there was a ton of stuff going on in uh, Toronto at the time. Right? Yeah, yeah, I was with, I was there. I would go all the time and get sort of advice from these people because I was mm-hmm. still trying to figure stuff out. I'd come at it from law and sort of macroeconomic policy. I didn't really know much about cryptography or anything like this. So I had a ton of questions. And, mm-hmm. and although I found it really you know interesting at first and 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 knew how to attack it from from tackle it from what i knew i knew there was so much i didn't know yep um so i became sort of a student of cryptography at that time and and realized that that was the most important thing uh for me anyway to learn about so Mm -hmm. i started reading all the the textbooks and and major uh, advancements in, in cryptography and 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 just learning the history of what it was um so i developed a bit of a, a thesis around around what was going on at the time and uh, we actually did a really neat thing with the study, uh, block 3,600, whatever. We actually hashed it into Bitcoin's blockchain 
um, as we table it in Parliament with the lines, Senate Banking Committee believes Satoshi's invention deserves a light regulatory touch. So you can go mm-hmm. and see that anytime. Um, and we actually got, you know, we drafted um, all of the recommendations, which were like, you know, leave them alone. This is a, a really empowering technology. Uh, don't regulate. We, we met with the uh, New York superintendent at the time, uh, Ben Lasky, and told him he was way too far ahead and, and being entrepreneurial even with uh, with regulations. Mm-hmm. Uh, we said from our you know view, this is not uh, this is really premature to, to sort of. Um, this is all the bit license stuff. This is all the bit license stuff because it was the 2014, 20, mm-hmm. 2015 time. And, uh, you know, we met the Australian Senate Banking Committee. They came mm-hmm. up and visited us for, for guidance and advice on what we were doing. And, uh, and from there, the moment that study was done, I said, what am I? I think they asked me to study pensions or something next. And I said, well, that's not going to happen. Uh, Don't I, worry. I, we all know they suck. Exactly. It's only getting worse. Uh, the virus was, was, was in me. Uh, I had been infected. And there was no doing anything else, obviously. Yep. So uh, I started going on my own a little bit, doing some consultations and, and working with a bit of those the, the Toronto set at the time, mm-hmm. um, and then CoinDesk was bought and was moved to America. It had started in in London, and uh, a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, it had started in London, and um, I mean they had they had journalists mm-hmm. in America, mm-hmm. but they had started in London, and so they were bought in 2015. And uh, when they moved to America, I was doing it remotely, um, but doing some more long form mm-hmm. research. And then I had a kind of a hack at the time where I would go to not Bitcoin conferences around the world. So I would never go to a normal Bitcoin conference, but I would mm-hmm. go to the incumbent industries which might be uh, disrupted by the technology. So I would go to supply chain conferences mm-hmm. and insurance conferences and I would do sort of one ones. And then I would stay in that city for a few weeks and and get consulting jobs where I was just sort of, you know, walking people through. And then part of the lesson was for them to pay me in Bitcoin at the mm-hmm. end. That was sort of a major part of what we were doing. Um, so I did that in Europe and I did that in Asia and uh, and I did that for a little while. But then a lot of travel and I could see in 2017 the market was changing and mm-hmm. and, you know, what I was doing for 101 and introductions and, and sort of evangelism. Um, was going to be a little different, and yep. I wanted to do something a little different. So, you know, CoinDesk folks said, "Why don't you come to New York City, uh, run our research department, and uh, and you can live here and, and and change your you know career a bit and, and and do something a little more focused." And so that's what I did. I came in 2017, right in time for the uh, the crazy bull run. So I was going to gonna say 2017 feels like just yesterday when people does. were pumping yeah. stuff on the internet. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything was 100xing. You got it. <laughs> and uh, it was really neat to come to New York City. You know, New York City is a tough town, of course, uh, and you can come here and, and only to outsiders. Only to, but but it, but it can grind people right to the ground. And uh, and what was neat was to come into this amazing bull market where the knowledge that I had was uh, really useful and valuable to a lot of people. So. So I walked into the city and it was just a fun time. I got to do a lot of, uh, you know, um, um, interesting meetings with interesting people. And uh, and so I haven't looked back. It's been a great time and I, I've loved the city and, and enjoyed it. Awesome. What exactly do you do as the head of research? What is, what a, is bunch stuff, a, bu- a bunch of stuff. A bunch of stuff. A bunch of stuff. Right. Like I feel Coinbase has this uh, unique spot in the market yeah. where um, they're owned by one of mm-hmm. the most active investors. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. They obviously have uh, kind of sister companies, but mm-hmm. there's also this kind of Chinese firewall. Is mm-hmm. my understanding with the media and, and some of that. But then also you guys know all the players. You know all of the uh, the projects and companies. And so it's just really 
integral you know part or, or centerpiece to uh, to most of the industry so it's yeah, kind of give you a lot of it, uh, resources it, it's amazing actually that that's sort of what i've always really appreciated is to be at the center of the whole industry and to have a real bird's eye view uh, a real bird's eye view so the the firewall is real i mean our journalists have zero contact and they're i mean not even christmas parties type of thing i think maybe christmas party but that's about it right they don't Ooh, talk wait, wait the wait coin desks <laughs> shares the christmas party with michael morrow I, I think they've been invited i think they've been invited but i mean it, it, but it, but it, but it's not a joke it is very serious in, internally i mean they really really police it there's just no contact because we have to write about these people too yeah. And in order for us to do that, we, they've got to be critical. So I'm not on the editorial side of the company, so I don't make those decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, uh, you know, it's 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 unfortunate that there is a perception. I'm not going to try and change it here today. But if you saw internally the the lengths to which editorial went to to make sure that isn't a reality, um, it would surprise a lot of people. I promise you, somebody's going to tweet at us about the Christmas party now. <laughs> uh, all right, but, so, but, but but even that is like maybe they can go. You know I mean? that, that's how so, serious. It so, is. as you're kind of in the day job, right there, there's a couple of different aspects of what you guys have done. There's what I would consider like more traditional research, right? Mm-hmm. Then you guys have built this uh, this new product that we can yeah. talk about. Uh, maybe just start at like a really high level. <laughs> what is um, kind of the goal or, or the mandate, right? Is it to educate internally, educate externally? Is it to create content and drive views? Kind of what what, what do you view as, hey, here's why, here's why we exist? So educate and inform is a major part of it. Um, but I'd say to put this in the larger historical narrative, we're not trying to just say this person made some money and they did well and this company didn't do well. I mean, there's a larger narrative here. And I guess I would I'd break it down to... Um, you know, what, what I learned in cryptography, this is my own take, but, mm-hmm. but I think is, is sort of infused and, and in line with w- the way the company would see it. You know, cryptography started as a, as a tool that only state actors used. It was mm-hmm. for war. Mm-hmm. Um, after World War II, we saw that was really the case because it was made illegal for any other person to get involved uh, with cryptography because they realized what the powers were with World War II and the Turing uh, machine and, and uh, Enigma and, and everything they did. Um, so when they when they stopped all, uh, ed, there was no education. You couldn't go to university for this stuff. It was it was just stopped. Um, the first private sector um, innovations happened in the 1970s when public key cryptography was invented by Whitfield Diffie, who was one of our keynotes last year at Consensus. Um, so you know it went from the state actor to companies that did cryptography for you if you told them your dog's name and your mother's maiden name and all this crazy stuff yep. um, and then they traded that information because you were too stupid to run your you know to satisfy your cryptographic needs bitcoin of course was the original and most widely distributed um, um, example of public key cryptography put in the hands of the individual mm-hmm. so the meta narrative for us is to really show people that they are being empowered by this new technology that that cryptography that the power of using a cryptographic key to express consent um, is really what we're talking about. That individuals can now do this. That it that it is taken away lots of discretion from other people that we've trusted until now to do these things and put them in the hands of individuals. So the, the narrative that we're trying to tell is much larger, um, and and we're really anchored in in telling the biggest story here that that people can use historically to look back on what happened. Yeah, pe- people are drastically underestimating how much work. Right, both regulatory, technology, socially have gone into pre two thousand eight, two thousand nine, 
any of this being possible, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's, a, I think, applicable not only in just kind of electronic cash, if you mm-hmm. will, right? And kind mm-hmm. of all the different mm-hmm. variations that people have tried over the last 30 years or so. Um, cryptography is obviously a whole nother one. Um, and I, I remember, uh, and I've talked about this before, but uh, Zuko told me one time, mm-hmm. he said, look, you know, this encryption and all this stuff used to be fought by the government. They used to say, you mm-hmm. cannot do this, you mm-hmm. cannot do this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, what are you hiding? Why do you need encryption, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and it finally came to a head and, and obviously there was a bunch of hearings and things like that. Uh, but today it's best practice, yep. right? Yep. And, and so this world where, um, you know, you would never imagine using a product where uh, certain communication wasn't encrypted, et cetera, that's mm-hmm. not the normal state. Well, and, and you see it even today. I mean, this was done inadvertently, but that GDPR people are always going <laughs> on about, right? They're all GDPR this and GDPR that. They put an exclusion in GDPR. They didn't mean to put an exclusion that helped us as mm-hmm. an industry, but they did say privacy by design, mm-hmm. which is the best practice if you if the users keep their keys with them. It mm-hmm. is privacy by design and therefore exempt from GDPR. Yep. Well, that's what we're doing here. We're trying to build a system where everyone can use these cryptographic keys with their person to express consent. I think most Americans, the only thing they know about GDPR is that it made a bunch of emails got sent and told them to like <laughs> reauthorize <laughs> right? uh, or it, websites. But other than that, most people are it, completely it was, lost in the US. It, it was hilarious that the, the, <laughs> the tool that was designed to keep us from getting spam and, and you know became the greatest spam inducer. Do you remember for like two weeks, it was like every day. Hey, you every get day, multiple every emails day, every day, every day. <laughs> but the good news is a, 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 a real robust decentralized public chain theoretically is 100 yep. percent exempt from this law. Yep. And so you can start to see the implications of what that means. You know, you look at cyber insurance right now. It's a terrible product. I mean, mm-hmm. just the worst. Mm-hmm. And they don't really get much. They get a little bit of value. If a network goes down, mm-hmm. uh, the insurance will pay. It doesn't really help reputationally. You can start to imagine a day where cyber insurance premiums are are lowered if a company chooses one of our platforms. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like putting a sprinkler system into a, you know, if you do it, then your premiums come down. It's a better practice. So you don't need to regulate that people do it this way, but Mm -hmm. they'll do it because they'll save money. And that's part of what we're hoping to to see happen here. And, And so that's a major part of what's driving it. Got it. And so let's talk about, you know, obviously you guys have this um, really big vision of where do we come from? What work did it take and where we are today? And even mm-hmm. into, hey, here's where we think the world's going in the future. Um, and one thing you guys recently created is this uh, crypto economic explorer. Yeah. So maybe tell us a little bit about what that is and kind of why you guys created that. So I'd say that with the, you know, 2017, the major story, the major takeaway in the end is that people had gone over that psychological hump and they have now accepted something digital as property, right? Mm-hmm. That that was one of the big things that had to happen. People would say a lot of time, Bitcoin's not real. I don't trust it before that. Mm-hmm. But now all of a sudden that people started to see, well, it's limited in supply. It is property. Um, mm-hmm. And they started to trust that that they had actually had a piece of natively digital property. It sort of changed people's minds about what it meant. Mm-hmm. And that was really important. Um, but what we saw was one of the important pillars of the industry, Wall Street and, and, and speculation being mm-hmm. the only real use case that we've actually been able to establish as, as, a, as a solid thing. Um, you know, that happened. But everyone started organizing their analysis of the industry around Wall Street metrics and around how Wall Street saw it. We definitely recognize the importance of Wall Street. And when I say Wall Street, I mean, you know, sort of the idea of Wall Street. This could be anyone interested in in, in trading and and speculating and finance and all that stuff. Um, 
it's a pillar, but it isn't the organizing principle. We see it as one of the pillars. You know, it was the most advanced. We saw the the most important human capital peel offs already in 2012, 2013. Yep. You look at the choose, you know, leaving Goldman already to build Ledger X at that time. There are, you know, Michael Morrow and all these Michael Sunshine, all these really smart people already gravitating towards this industry. So they were already getting is the most advanced. They were getting the most quality um, participants yep. of the human capital flight, but it wasn't the organizing principle. When you look at it, you know, crypto economics, what are they? It's economics like we all know. It's it's not a fancy word. It's still incentives. It's still choice. It's still options. Anytime you put the word crypto in front of something, it's just the root word. Yeah. It's the exact same, right? Crypto economics, yeah. crypto securities, yeah. crypto incentives. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's the same thing. Exact same. Exact and we same put thing. crypto there to make ourselves feel smart. It is. Well, you know, there isn't actual use to it as far as I can tell. And the use is this, is that it's not a subcategory of economics. Mm-hmm. It's not a derivative of economics. It's actually a subcategory of cryptography and engineering. Okay. That's what Explain makes this crypto. So, so the organizing principle of this, a way to do it is to think of the forces that would shape a decentralized network. How mm-hmm. do we harness these forces to build a system? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really about system design. Mm-hmm. Um, and the economic forces that go into motivating people to build these systems. Mm-hmm. So that's what you're measuring. Mm-hmm. You're measuring the growth of the network. Mm-hmm. You're not measuring, um, you know. So even even pulling back a bit, he, when CoinDesk came out with the BPI, which was the reference price of Bitcoin for a very long time, mm-hmm. we were the first to do an indexed price in 2013. It was mm-hmm. about 70 bucks at the time, and no one had done it. That was great because it was able to benchmark everyone's incentives. If you backed out, you, a miner could understand what their cost was and what their return was. Mm-hmm. So that was really important. But as other assets joined, it kind of took away from that um, um, easy benchmark. A bunch of other speculation came in, um, other networks. Bitcoin was kind of behaving as a reserve or gold currency of a financial system, mm-hmm. um, not just Bitcoin itself. It was tied into the speculation of everything else. And it became really difficult to untangle and under, understand where the growth and value was really happening. We're not going to be able to do it out of uh, a simple accounts. You know, it's mm-hmm. not profits mm-hmm. and loss and all that stuff. So what are we really measuring here? Um, so we said crypto economics, the, what's needed to build one of these decentralized networks is the, the organizing principle, just an organizing principle. Mm-hmm. So we saw sort of five axes, price still being important exchange activity being important, the actual network itself being important. So that can be the miners and the merchants using Mm -hmm. on-chain transactions. Social media plays a huge role in this industry. Everyone knows the industry lives on on Twitter. And then the developers themselves, like who's showing up to build these things? Who's motivated? And then we made one other choice where we said, okay, well, you know, what does 55 trade pairs for Litecoin mean? It means nothing. It's abstract. So we said, well, Bitcoin is behaving as the reserve currency of this industry. We can use Bitcoin like water was used in the metric system. You know, we just said water freezes at zero, sure, and it boils at 100, sure, great. And we'll just divide it evenly between that. Mm-hmm. What we said is we can understand using Bitcoin as a ruler, we can understand the size and interest in other networks. So the crypto economic explorer doesn't measure the way the way Wall Street would measure an asset in dollars. We're looking to measure networks and interest. Okay. Price is interesting. Mm-hmm. Exchanges are interested in a coin to list them. Uh, social media is interested in a coin in order to argue mm-hmm. about it, push it, and, and, and all that stuff. Um, merchants should be interested in various networks. And developers who are giving up their time should be interested in the platform they're, they, they, they want work in. So that mm-hmm. should be a motivating factor. So we're measuring interest. Interest in networks. It's nothing more complicated than that. And so what does this look like in application, right? If somebody goes to use the tool, mm-hmm. describe kind of what that user experience is like and, and kind of what you were thinking 
whatever they get out, what that mm-hmm. output is, mm-hmm. what, what are they going to use it for? So what we wanted to do was make sure that we can we can show the level of growth in all five of these axes, right? Price is easy. That one's already taken care of. A lot of data providers that do exchange, mm-hmm. some other ones that do network, so the block explorers, a few that have begun to specialize in GitHub stuff, mm-hmm. and you hear some social media stuff all around. Um, we combined that all into one platform. We took data sources from all over. And then we also wanted to surface a data viz that would make it easy to consume this information because, mm-hmm. you know, if the future is that everyone who's interested in these networks needs to get a Series 7 license uh, and be able to read these huge uh, Bloomberg terminal, terminal spreadsheets, I, I don't think we've been successful. Um, Have uh, you, like, and I think I'm the only person who's anywhere near the finance world who thinks this. The Bloomberg terminal looks like a casino to me. Yeah. Right? It's like blinking Pop lights, movements, yeah, all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, these people are just sitting here at this casino and, and you can make money, you can lose money, yeah, yeah. right? It yeah. all comes out of the it's same this, place. And it has that same sort of, I'm, I'm surprised they don't put the sound on the audio of people winning gambling. I've noticed that in some casinos where it's like, ding, 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 but it's the audio. You know, it's not even the machines ringing up victories. So, yeah, it's... Uh, you know, it's neat. They show who's, you know, on the indexes who's making money and and, and things flash. And it's 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 pretty funny. A- absolutely. So, yeah, the, the, the conclusion of the tool is simple. I mean, if you come in, you can see the surface area of the shapes that are drawn. Um, so we used a, a radar map, a pentagon um, along these five axes. And uh, if a coin, um, you know, has a lot of development in social, a lot of development in exchange, but nothing happening on developers, um, nothing happening on the network. That, you know, that should be an indication that this this coin needs uh, some serious uh, second looks and, and to find out if anyone's actually building. What you want to see is something growing along the lines of, of, of Bitcoin. We know Bitcoin was shaped by those crypto economic forces. Mm-hmm. It worked. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we can use that to see what a healthy network looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really what the tool is about. It's about showing, is it is it growing in every way? Because if it grows crooked... Uh, a little like a plant, you know, it's 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 not what you're looking for. Yep. You're looking for a robust, healthy uh, network on all these levels. Yeah, it, it is. Um, you know, I think a lot about like Bitcoin is beautiful mm-hmm. and this idea of everything from the system design to the initial distribution to the way that people have described it. It's kind of hit its stride at multiple points in its lifetime, um, according to different economic you know, components, mm-hmm. different nation states that are doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people have really taken an asset and they've made it what they need it to be. Yeah. Right. So sometimes yeah. store value, sometimes medium exchange, mm-hmm. sometimes literally just for speculation. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But but I do think um, it, it's one of these assets that uh, we full, you know, we really understand, mm-hmm. yet we don't understand at all. Absolutely. And, and, Absolutely. and uh, yeah. I, you know, what you're describing in terms of the growth and, and a lot of the uh, network effects and, and um, kind of that interest is very, very different than a majority of what we've seen kind of launched in the last two, three years. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and that's the way we approached it. We said if we're yeah. going to if we're going to make a useful tool for people. Um, we can't just do what's out there already yep. because that, that, I mean, it's fine. You know, it was, it was great to show that these things were, were real. They were happening. People were trading them. That was that sort of psychological thing that I mentioned earlier. It was very useful to um, market cap, to understand that there's people interested and in buying it. Okay, great. What are they interested? Who else is interested? Um, is it just speculators? Is it just people trying to pump a bag on social or, or what else is going on here? Yeah. And so that's really what we're trying to uncover. I, uh, speaking of pumping bags, uh, one thing that just fascinates me is imagine if like the boiler room crowd, right. You know, from the, what is it? Nineties or whatever. Uh, if they had social media, 
know, like, like everything we know that they were doing now, imagine if they had the tools that we have today. It, it is amazing. I mean, it is, it is, it, it's created that tribalism, but that's kind of what these coins need. I mean, if there is, if we're inventing the, the, the future of, of these networks, there's no room for sentimentality. And that, that's mm-hmm. one of the great things that, that I think the, the, the whole Wall Street pillar of the industry has brought. These are not sentimental people. They're not mm-hmm. coming because they want uh, the same things that the early Bitcoin people wanted for, for macroeconomic and central bank change. Um, they came because they said, OK, this is a new asset. Uh, people are making money. I want to find out how to make money. Yep. And they, if this thing doesn't work or if they don't like that community, they're able to call it out really easily. Um, um, and, and that's important. You know, that's the sort of anti fragility of these networks if they're not capable of taking criticism then what's going on here i've often done that you know i've done a lot of the event work for coindesk as well to make sure that the people we have speaking at our events are are top quality speaking about really relevant things and and interesting things and i've often said to the critics that we go out and get look bitcoin's a big kid it can Mm -hmm. take whatever you have to say because people are very nervous to Mm -hmm. come and criticize and i said Mm -hmm. we want to hear everything yeah ben horwitz talks a lot about like uh, peacetime ceos and wartime ceos Mm -hmm. right and this idea that uh usually somebody is one or the other right so they're really really good at running the company when everything's going well Mm -hmm. when things you know shit the bed they Mm -hmm. absolutely Mm -hmm. fail Mm -hmm. or vice versa you've got kind of the fixers the people can come in they can fix problems and they get really bored when the company is is Mm -hmm. doing well and the kind of unicorn or or, um the holy grail of a founder is somebody who can operate in the peacetime and wartime Mm -hmm. and um you know as you kind of think of it most crypto assets live perpetually in wartime, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's somebody always mm-hmm. trying to attack them. Mm-hmm. There's somebody who's trying to beat them. Mm-hmm. There's somebody who's always, you know, criticizing them, whether mm-hmm. it's um, both, you know, technically or, or some of the social aspects mm-hmm. and design. And, and so we've just never seen this before, mm-hmm. right? Where every single project, every single mm-hmm. asset in an entire industry mm-hmm. is at wartime 24 7, 365 mm-hmm. on a global basis, mm-hmm. right? And, and so the ones that have persisted or, or thrived, mm-hmm. like Bitcoin, it's pretty amazing to see that happen in such a short period of time to have withstood all of this. And, and that's really the most important thing. I mean, every mm-hmm. day that Bitcoin survives, mm-hmm. it is more like what gold is supposed to be in our economy. Yeah. It behaves more and more like gold. And that's, that's really what we want to see. We want to see it take all of this abuse and criticism. And, and of course, there's the joy of getting to throw it in people's face again, because, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're pretty convinced that we're right about this. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a neat part of the industry and I think keeps the fires stoked. Absolutely. Um, all right. So uh, you've got this really interesting theory about uh, Ethereum mm-hmm. and the ERC-20 standard um, and how it has shook the world. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk a little bit more about why you think that and what that impact means moving forward. Well, it was a contract. You know, this is what I would often um, as everything was going crazy in, in 2017 and, and we're looking to help people and guide them. And, and so they don't just get swept up and everything. Um, and then as things came down, they said, oh, you, you know, you guys are wrong about this and that. And I said, look, this was one contract. It was one simple contract and it shook early stage finance. The whole world found out about it. And, and um, you know, a lot of the pretzels and mental gymnastics to make them utility tokens because of the whole mm. regulatory stuff, I think made things come out pretty crooked. Um, and because it was so uh, novel, it really ended up creating a situation where um, it, I mean, it's pretty crazy to think about, you know, this one smart contract, one, one protocol, whatever you want to call it. Um, and not only the 
the, the real impact, right? Meaning that, look, there's billions of dollars put into companies, right? Global investor base, all this stuff. But even bigger than that was the fear that it drove mm-hmm. into so many different industries, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and you saw um, incumbents in finance, incumbents mm-hmm. in supply chain, right? Mm-hmm. All the way through, mm-hmm. you know, transportation saying, oh my God, this mm-hmm. thing is coming, mm-hmm. right? And, and it was like the writing was on the wall and they literally started making decisions out of fear. You, I mean, you just saw Absolutely. It. Well, I mean, they saw the truth. The, the, the way it had worked before was you, you went with your hand out with a great idea to the VCs and begged them. And, and, you know, it was, it was kind of a clique. They knew who was great. And, and if you got an interview one place, they couldn't wait to give you money. And if you didn't, then, you know, you were on the outside. It was was a power pendulum, right? So so I always talk about this thing where uh, the pendulum had swung in the favor of investors Mm -hmm. and investors Mm -hmm. were able to dictate terms. Mm -hmm. They, you know, come, you come pitch me while I sit on my throne. Mm And what we saw in 16 and really in 17 Mm -hmm. was the pendulum swung back in the favor of founders Mm -hmm. and there was no rules and they could raise money from anybody. And all of a sudden, if you Uh sat on a throne or not, it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. Your Mm -hmm. dollar was good, Mm -hmm. right? Or or your Ethereum or Bitcoin was good. And, 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 you know, like anything that happens at one time, the ambitions were wildly uh, (laughs) outstripped what was possible. And we had these huge raises that were probably unnecessary. I mean, I don't know how many people need $4 billion to build a network. It's, it's, you know, I hope everything works out, but, it, it had shrunk the distance between idea and market um, more than it has ever been shrunk in the history of the world, more than mm-hmm. the internet itself could have done. This mm-hmm. was a really remarkable shrinkage of that mm-hmm. distance so that anyone in the world with a great idea now theoretically had the opportunity to get that idea financed. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the whole thing kind of went sideways, right? Mm-hmm. We had a lot of rent seekers along the way. The ability to sort of launch a token had all kinds of lawyers and none of the things we really wanted, yeah. um, the things that we were trying to get rid of. So for a brief period, it shrunk that distance and then all of a sudden it grew it more. Mm-hmm. Um, so from that, you know, you start to say, okay, well, what were the problems and how can we fix these? Mm-hmm. Um, we see already with the Jobs Act in America, um, you know, the $1 million crowdfund rates. Don't forget the Dow failed two tests. Mm-hmm. The Dow failed the Howey test as well as is this an exempt market offering? Um, you know, it was a simple test to determine it wasn't, so, it raised too much money. So we talked a ton about the Howey test mm-hmm. on, on the podcast, but maybe explain a little bit about the exempt market. So in the, the Jobs Act, when it came out, was really designed um, with the idea in mind that small enterprises would become major employers and mm-hmm. that the ability to launch a small enterprise and raise money to get it going was going to be the driving force. So they created the crowdfunding exemptions, um, which were pretty simple. So they go back to the 32, 30, or 33, 34 acts. You don't need to be an accredited investor but you can't invest more than $10,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And the companies that are raising only need, can only raise a million dollars. And it's a pretty simple process. You file and it's done. Um, It's just, you know, unless they get back to you and say, this is not, this is not compliant. Otherwise Mm -hmm. just let them know, just notice them that you're doing this and then show them that you didn't raise too much and, and, and continue with your Edgar filings and and all that stuff. Um, So they, they created this um, um, vehicle which has been kind of used here and there. This is, it's not really caught fire. 
um, because the one million dollar raise is pretty low. Um, uh, one of the great things that could happen that the SEC could do is just to put a zero onto that raise. And I think a lot of troubles would go away for both the crypto industry and for the SEC. They're not going to have to look into these small projects all the time that are mm. being um, maybe clearly uh, you know, in violation of, of rules and ripping people off. But $10 million raise is not a systemic threat to the uh, economy. You're, I mean, that's really what the, th- the, the acts were mm. all about, right? Those old acts were really about um, uh, making sure that the Great Depression didn't happen again and the Wall Street crash of 29 didn't happen again. That's why they put them in in the first place. You know, the the, the, the 20s, you know, people compare crypto often to the 1990s. I compare it to two different eras. It's sort of wider internet revolution, which is kind of like what Niall Ferguson talks about. This is the mm-hmm. Reformation. It's, it's you know, it's the 15, 1600s. It's nothing to do with, with the 90s. And the other one is the 1920s. What we saw with the ERC-20 in 2017 um, was a lot like Wall Street in the 1920s when it was really new and exciting and mm. all kinds of projects were being launched and tons of them were scams. And But everyone was participating. Everyone had their chance at making money. And then when those laws came in, they basically said to, you know, 90 something percent of the world, forget it. You, you know, don't look here. You're too stupid. You'd have no business around here. So that's one of the really neat things the RC20 did is it said to the world again, here you go. Like you can participate in this. You do have the access to this stuff. And so I'm, I'm really keen and excited and, 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 and would love to see that at zero added to the exempt market. And I think it would be a great thing for a lot of crypto projects. $10 million is enough to get your thing going. For sure. Do you think there will be similar shockwaves that go through at the scale they did from ERC-20 with new protocols, new standards? Um, and can there be multiple ones that happen in the future? Or so, do you think it's kind of episodic, if you will, one at a time? So. You know, the, 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 the good news is some important infrastructure was built um, with what happened in, in 2017 stuff before, for sure. So it's not all 2017 stuff. These ideas were, were around for a while. But there are now opportunities to use what's already been built to do things that are similar to the RC20 uh, boom. So personally, for example, I've got a science fiction book that I've worked on since 2015, Bitcoin themed and, and all that stuff. I'm doing a royalty contract. Um, so I'm going to launching a coin. Yeah, basically. Yeah, it, I, don't, I mean, I don't want it to. I'm not keen on it trading on exchanges yeah, and all yeah, that. Yeah, stuff. It's not a second market thing. Yep, yep. But the infrastructure is there for me to do the following. I can offer a contract um, for 30 percent of, of, of future earnings to investors. And it's just paid out when I sell it for dollars on Amazon mm-hmm. and iTunes and all that stuff. That infrastructure is there to empower me individually. So mm-hmm. one can imagine that while the ERC-20 was really good for teams to build stuff, um, the stuff that's already been built can help individuals use this mm-hmm. stuff to help themselves. I mean, mm-hmm. one of the worst financial contracts which exists in the world today is the royalty contract. It's abysmal. It's terrible. You get mm-hmm. nothing if you're a writer or a musician or an artist. But the infrastructure is there now to do this in crypto. And mm-hmm. so there is an opportunity for that, once again, that distance between idea and market to shrink and, and mm-hmm. for people to be individually empowered. So that could be one of the next big booms where people start using this stuff and start building on it. So mm-hmm. I don't want I'm not building a coin to get transactions off other writers doing I don't care. Right. Mm-hmm. If I do it and I'm successful, other people can copy it. And, yep. and that's that would be the good news. Yeah. I mean, what you're talking about is an experimentation that, you know, some people would be in the camp of, oh, this is dumb. You know, I don't want to use it. And mm-hmm. so you should never even try. Mm-hmm. There's a second camp and probably the camp that I'm in where mm-hmm. experimentation of every form should be encouraged because we don't know. Right. Exactly. And, and, and so 
you know, I have my personal opinions about mm-hmm. certain tokens or, or networks or even, you know, designs mm-hmm. and the people behind them. Right. But mm-hmm. I think that we've got to, as an overall industry, get much more serious about saying I can disagree with you mm-hmm. and still want you to be experimenting and still trying to figure things out because there's there's a non-zero chance that you actually do figure something out um, that I can then incorporate into what I'm doing. Absolutely. And, and, and that's. I guess another part of the industry that needs to be um, further communicated to the wider world, Mm -hmm. because at the base we are talking about cryptography. Mm -hmm. We're talking about cryptography here. Cryptography is not the same as a computer game. It's not the same as just your normal consumer internet. Um, It works in a very different environment. And, and, you know, if it if it is like video games, right, then it would be, you know, you have Pong, which Bitcoin is Pong, right? We can move value from here to there. It works perfectly. And it actually works. It's a real video game. Um, it, it, it does what it's supposed to do and probably doesn't even need to change. It's perfect and elegant the way it is, right? It does its job. Um, Pong didn't need to be changed. Pong is still a great game. There's a bit yep. of the experience in Pong in every single other game and it is used as this guide. But this um, you know, experimentation side of crypto, because there is an adversarial environment, because it must, we only know it works if it lasts for years and no adversaries break it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an overnight thing. It's not like, can you get to the end of Mario? You know, does the game, does the animations and graphics work for you to get to the end? You know, if there's a bug in Zelda, like a bomb doesn't blow up a wall, it's no big deal. You know, send a patch and you're good. Um, in crypto, it's not the same. It's mm-hmm. either bulletproof or zero. Mm-hmm. There isn't a, a middle ground. So experimentation is hard in this industry. It really is. Um, and so it must be encouraged because we need it. Um, well, but there is a conservatism, which is important, too. And, and so, you know, one aspect that people probably don't give enough credit to in crypto is the methodical kind of very slow, intentional, safe software development of Bitcoin, for example, <laughs> is to avoid any issues. <laughs> the contrary to that or, or, or the um, opposite is that a ton of these projects were racing, right? Mm-hmm. They were trying to build mm-hmm. like a startup. And they, so they were mm-hmm. racing mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. code written and out into people's hands and, and iterate, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then we've taught founders to do that when mm-hmm. building companies. Mm-hmm. But what you're describing is actually that mentality of kind of agile software development um, is a detriment when you're trying to build a store of value. It we're is. trying it to build is. a medium it of exchange, is. right? The, the, yeah. the Silicon Valley fail fast and break things does not work here. It yeah. just doesn't. It's, it, 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 will, it doesn't work in very specific use cases. Yes. It works if you're building, you know, the next supply chain. What, I, what yeah, I'm yeah, doing, it works yeah. for, right? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not threatening protocol. I'm not creating a protocol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not doing an ERC-20, by the way, because my book is Bitcoin themed, so I must connect it to Bitcoin. So it'll be what a Bitcoin you, offering. Use? RSK. Okay. RSK, yeah. Um, so th- 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 that's not going to hurt Bitcoin at all. It's me seeing if I can use Bitcoin to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think I can. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I never really uh, had skin in the game as far as the big debates mm-hmm. uh, for scaling went for Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. But what I will say is that to see the consumer facing people get into dialogue with the actual cryptographers and, and core devs, and then that the outcome was that prudence and uh, security won the day. Yep. I think was really encouraging, really, really good news for the industry. Um, because if it had been the other way around, then we don't know what the answers are. Right now, the important thing is to preserve Bitcoin and make sure it keeps being Pong. It mm-hmm. keeps doing what it's supposed to do. We mm-hmm. don't need to turn 
pong overnight into a role playing game with a shooter capacity. And none of that's important. Like we don't need mm-hmm. to buy coffee today. It's not important. It's funny because everything that the detractors use to to negate the importance of Bitcoin mm-hmm. are actually the core strengths of Bitcoin. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And, and mm-hmm. what it does is it. it very, very quickly illuminates those who understand it and those who don't. Mm-hmm. Now, we've got a lot of work to do to help everyone understand mm-hmm. it. Um, but but it is pretty funny to me to, you know, when you hear people say, well, oh, it, it, it uh, it's slow. <laughs> OK, do you know why it's slow? <laughs> do you understand the advantage of it being yeah. slow? And, and, and it, it goes even more fundamental to that. It's it's it's, you know, th- there there is a conference called RSA. OK, it's the largest cryptographers conference in the world. Mm-hmm. And at the end, they have a panel called the cryptographers. And that's where they have Shamir and all of the great cryptographers, Whitfield Diffie. They all come for this last sort of really prestigious um, panel session. 50,000 people in Las Vegas. Massive, massive conference. Um, so they had last year because our crypto had sort of usurped the word crypto. They call their industry crypto, right? Yep. And so that was the big joke at the start. Oh, crypto. You know, uh, the, the, the new, new crypto. crypto. Yeah, the new crypto. <laughs> it's not crypto. So they had all these really smart people, right? Really smart. The pioneers of, of uh, Rivet, Shamir, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the RSA guys, everyone, right? Um, and they went on about how, oh, the hash rate's too high. Why does anyone need that hash rate? They kind of, you know poo-pooed on everything to do with 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 crypto for quite a while in the one hour panel. And then they followed it up immediately after with a talk about Cambridge Analytica and Facebook, right? And then they sat there and moaned and cried their eyes out that their work is not a priority to the C-suite in their company, that privacy and cryptographer security work is never going to be taken seriously by the CEO of Facebook and, and this and that. And I'm sitting there really frustrated watching this. The only guy to stand up for crypto was Whitfield Diffie in the end, um, for our crypto. Um, they're sitting there saying, okay, um, you know, Bitcoin does all these things, but it's stupid. Um, and then uh, why aren't we taken seriously by CEOs of companies? Um, you know, what we're saying is you're actually in charge in our industry. Like you guys now, privacy and security are the premium. They're what we're, we need to be guided by. That's that's the advantage of the industry. And so your ideas are the selling points. Mm-hmm. Um, your talents and skills that you bring to make these networks robust and anti-fragile and secure are exactly our advantage and why we can win. Absolutely. Um, so to see these people complain about not being taken seriously while at the same time poo-pooing on crypto made me have a whole new respect for the cryptographers that are in our industry who are finally bosses. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that, that Zuko is the boss of his company. And then, um, you know, the protocol itself is another story, but that there is this person out there who can say, I think this and I think that. And he's focused on privacy and security first means something else totally different. So I can't say who who told me this. Uh, and they said it joking. Mm-hmm. But uh, what they said was uh, the Internet allowed the nerds to have real revenge right? <laughs> on, on like all the business people. But they said crypto mm-hmm. allows the real nerds <laughs> to actually have their revenge on, on everyone who was pretending. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think what you're talking about is very similar here it, where it's, it's that. You know, the difference yeah. between a, you know, a front end mm-hmm. or an app developer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- mm-hmm. They're software engineer, et cetera. But the people who are working on deep cryptography, mm-hmm. just they're different. Right. Totally different. And uh, it's different training. It's different kind mm-hmm. of ethos. Mm-hmm. It's different. Um, you know, I, I think just uh, perspective on the world. Well, it's it's. It's a little bit like, you know, it's 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 different because it's an unfair fight. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 software people are just 
ship software that people will use if they like it or not. It's like an aesthetic thing. Does mm-hmm. it look good? Does it mm-hmm. feel good? Um, Can crypto- we get you digitally addicted? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With cryptographers, it is how is the person who's trying to screw me thinking? Because um, if there's one weakness in what they do, it can be exploited. Yep. They can have a perfect system. Uh, one weakness, it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an unfair fight in the sense that the adversary needs to find one weakness and they can topple the Jenga. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the person building the structure has to think of every possible one. And it's mm-hmm. very easy. That's why you hear all oh, the new Bitcoin, the better Bitcoin, blah, 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 blah. Come on. You know, Bitcoin, you run for 10 years and see how it goes. You see if no one, the daily attacks finds a way to get in. Um, and and that, that's an amazing thing. That, that Bitcoin works is still almost a miracle. It's beautiful that you could coordinate this elegant system and that it works. You know, I often tell people, do you know how much we pay for security in Bitcoin? Zero. It's an incentive model and people pay to do it. They pay to do it, right? And then they win money and Crazy. all this stuff. It's amazing. You know, it's yeah, amazing. Absolutely. Beautiful, beautiful and amazing. All right. Before we finish up, let's uh, do a rapid fire, um, which newsflash is really not that rapid. No one, no one's ever done it rapid. But um, what do you think is your most controversial thought in crypto? Like the one thing that you believe that the highest degree of other people would disagree? Oh, hmm. I'm going to call you out if you don't say something controversial. I'm trying. Too. I'm trying. I'm trying to think of one thing. Uh uh, that it, that it's not Wall Street first. That it's not Wall Street first. And I'm not I'm not saying that I'm arguing against uh, the rehypothetication of uh, or the financialization of Bitcoin. That's not what I'm saying. That things like CryptoKitties are probably more important. Um, and I don't mean CryptoKitties itself, but the idea that people can play and do things. You know, I fully imagine a day. I know Brian Armstrong was talking about it yesterday with with the Reddit going uh, crypto. Yeah, Reddit gold. Yeah, I mean, I've been talking about this for a long time, and and I do believe it'll be a job one day to like stuff on Twitter and share it and, and all that stuff. I mean, I really believe that, and and I think that'll be um, um, empowering for a lot of people, and that eventually we're not talking about uh, uh, a bunch of people who are you know sort of slaves to protocols and, and and any of that stuff, but a lot of people just using this to make their life better. Yeah, which it, I don't think is controversial. It, it, but. It's funny because uh, I just read an article that said, uh, you know, the government shut down. A bunch of these workers are turning to Uber, Lyft, mm-hmm. Airbnb, et cetera, to, um, to to get income, right? And what you're describing is another type of activity that creates value, right? And and uh, if you're able to actually get economic benefit for that mm-hmm. value you're creating, um, it, it changes the way that people think about work. It well, changes the way people think about the output in which they create. And, and I think it flattens things. I mean, the, the old expression, time is money, is really true. Um, but it hasn't been an e- Like, if you really got into the formula, you couldn't say time equals money until now. Mm-hmm. You'd have to say time equals money plus the inflation that is targeted by a central bank plus all the other policies mm-hmm. that add cost onto the money. So your time is not converting equally to money. In the end, what is Bitcoin? It's time. It's, it's yep. a record of time. What happened when at what time? And and here we have this sort of flattening of time becoming money again. And, and that's a really important thing. For sure. Uh, because the most finite resource we have in the end is our time. So how do we spend it, right? If you can spend it um, in an, an industry that pays you for your time, um, that's that's a great thing. Have you ever seen the movie? 
Oh man, I'm gonna forget the name, but uh, Justin Timberlake, and he's got the uh, the yeah, time yeah, yeah, in his yeah, arm. Yeah, yeah, just I think it was like yeah. I think it was literally called like time or yeah, something, yeah, right? Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I remember watching that movie, and, and for those that don't know, uh, basically everyone it's a sci-fi type movie, and everyone walks around with a clock on their forearm, mm. and uh, for you get paid in time. So mm-hmm. when you go to work, you basically your time gets extended, mm. and if you ever go to zero, you end up dying. Jeez. And uh, if you want to, you know, pay a toll, take mm-hmm. some time off, and, and mm-hmm. so time is really the currency. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching that and being like, "Whoa, right? Like, we have life so backwards." Because <laughs> it was this, it was this huge metaphor, yeah, right? Yeah. And when you kind of watched it that way, yeah, yeah, it yeah. just was so um, just kind of smacks you in the face. Yeah, it does. Right? It does. Yeah. It's, it's, if you if you're forced to give up your time, it does feel like that that kind of oppressive, um, not free environment. You know? For sure. What uh, what's the most important company in crypto other than a DCG company? Hmm, most important company in crypto. Um, look, I mean, I, I I really believe CoinDesk plays a vital role in this industry. I don't want to. It's a DCG <laughs> company, but uh, the, 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 the you're shelling. literally the first person to just ignore the rules. <laughs> I'll think of another one. The most important. I mean, I don't look the the, the one that I've actually used. Um, I don't know if it's the most important in the long run. Okay. Um, but something that I used that I think articulated what was going on well to people in the early days was Zappo. That we had yeah, yeah. this mountaintop, and that there were people guarding the Bitcoin uh, up there. Somehow made people think that it was. Um, it really got through. I always saw people click um, when I mentioned that. And it's pretty badass. It's pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty neat. Um, you know, a lot of those exchange exchanges. You know, mm-hmm. I, I love the the sort of um, privacy focus that Kraken has as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of Shapeshift. Um, mm-hmm. um, Happy to read the way they had sort of taken account of their last year and said, let's focus on what we do best. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I look forward to seeing what that is, because I, I do believe that that Eric is one of the, the smartest and, and sees it comprehensively. That's really what what I what I look for. Uh, people who can see it um, the biggest possible story, because um, we're not dealing in. Like I said, this Wall Street thing is great. It's fun and, and will always be there. We're, we're going to eat Wall Street. That's going to happen. Um, but it is not the end of the story. It's it's a it's a pass. It's it's a it's a stop along the way. Yeah, you know, long Bitcoin, short the bankers, only for a while. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, what uh, what one regulation would you change or improve if you could? Absolutely, the uh, the crowdfunding, and I'd put that zero and uh, go from a million dollar limit to 10 yeah, million. ten million. I think ten million is all companies need to get going in this space. I, I don't imagine why you'd need that much more. I mean, maybe, um, but for the um, like the only way this thing is going to scale, I'm a, I'm a big believer that we're going to live in a multi multi-token, multi-chain, and I mean, that's how it scales. It doesn't mm-hmm. scale through just on-chain transaction. I think it scales through the number of chains and coins that are there, and interoperability being a major part of how that can help coordinate all this stuff. Yep. Um, so if that is all possible, um, then then you know a lot of these things are pretty bespoke. What we're trying to do, what do these things do? They, they authenticate really well because possession equals identity, right? Mm-hmm. You have the key, you are who you say you are by sheer virtue of having the key, which is that sort of light touch that we want from a from a, a point of view of, of privacy and security in a, in a completely connected digital world. Um, and then and then that you can sort of extend that um, 
to the, the, the types of bespoke. So it's authentication and authorization. What transaction type? In Bitcoin, it's simple. Just send. Mm-hmm. But we do want to sort of can and bottle all kinds of transaction types. And that's when we eat the regulator, right? When we can start turning the compliance of a regulation into uh, an authorization uh, on a chain, mm-hmm. then we've done their job and they can they can just go back and sit in Congress only, which is the way it should be in the first place. Uh, we got to get everyone who's not in Congress and the Senate sort of, you know, turned into some sort of protocol um, if we can. Right. Save everyone money. Tokenize the regulators. Tokenize them. Just get them. <laughs> What's and, the most important book you've ever read? Um, uh, I mean, I always go on. I'm a huge Mark Twain fan. Okay. And, and I think if you go to Mark Twain's, um, you know, Mark Twain got a start uh, as a um, writer of the Gold Rush. Uh, he was out there sort of uh, immortalizing and mythologizing some of the early Wild West gold rush people. He mm-hmm. became a travel writer after, and that's mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. invented stand-up comedy and all that stuff. So I'd say roughing it, uh, which was his experience uh, in the gold rush, was important. Um, for sci-fi, I'm a huge Aldous Huxley fan, so uh, Brave New World for sure. Got it. All right. One uh, non-crypto question, and then I'll let you ask me a question. Uh, you're smiling, so you already know what's coming. I don't. Um, I don't. I'm not going to ask about alien pets, but uh, what do you think the probability is that aliens exist? Pretty low, man. You think it's pretty yeah, low? Yeah, it's wow. pretty low. Yeah. Okay, I wait, mean, explain. Well, uh, we, we I vehemently disagree, but go ahead. Um, look, I, I hope I hope so. Um, I'm you hope that they big, exist or don't exist? They do. Yeah, okay. I'm a big All sci-fi right. person, and okay. I, I don't think it's a, against us. But um, we have a pretty long reach out there. We can hear and see a lot. Um, and there are anomalies and weird stuff that happens, but, uh, at this point I would imagine we would get some kind of sign now, now it's possible, right? So yeah, yeah. I just haven't, I would have to see a bit right now. What, you know? what uh, we've talked about a couple of people, we've talked to a couple of people about this. What about the Harvard uh, professor who swears that the, uh, the thing that entered the solar system mm-hmm. was a, uh, spaceship? Yeah. I mean, if, like if he I, sw- he's like, I don't care if you believe yeah. me or not, I yeah. swear yeah, I saw that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm open to the idea. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not uh, discredulous of the idea. Mm-hmm. I just would have to see something, you know, mm-hmm. see something. Well, if they do exist, how do we interact? Like, like what the math. first interaction or the math. first interaction that we crypto, have crypto, with them. man? It's all math. It's all math. <laughs> Though the you can actually use the so that, that's what's so neat about some of the algorithms that have been found, mm-hmm. like SHA two fifty six. This yeah, is a yeah. this is a jewel, right? This is a this is a, a rare piece of math that is able to do pretty magic things. It does mm-hmm. the same. It produces the same characters, each, the same number of characters each time. Um, you know, because these are little mathematical jewels that you find in in in, in the rough, um, they become easy to use to let's say reverse engineer communication and and so in that way they're great we would we would probably use bitcoin and say look we did this it's probably a step of evolution in every culture (laughs) in every world right to come up with a bitcoin i'm blown away right now that we would communicate with them with math i did not expect you to go there that's the only way if you take math you can you can sort of abstract language not far after and and you can use it to sort of reverse engineer how we would communicate so uh i'm not sure exactly how but you know some really smart people could figure that out hopefully they come in one plus one equals two to them as well yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) that's the start that's the start that's the start all right what uh one question do you have for me hmm let's come up with one um 
you're way smarter than me, which scares me that you're going to ask me something. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm trying to come up with something uh, interesting and fun. Um, um, Is um, I'll make it a Twitter centric question. Of course. Um, Is it crypto has to be crypto related? No, it can be anything. Um, Where would your business be without Twitter? Oh, that's a good question. Mm. Um, I have no clue. (laughs) (laughs) So on the investing side, uh, I've never thought about Twitter specifically helping sourcing deals, investing, et cetera. And only recently, probably last like six months have, uh, founders like started verbalizing this idea of, Oh man, if you're an investor, like you can, you know, go and you can basically drive awareness, you can drive acquisition you can do Mm -hmm. all stuff. Um, and it's interesting to think about. Um, one of the things that uh, I've spent a lot of time on over the, since, since I started looking at this is this idea that asset management businesses today, uh, I mean, they're really antiquated, mm. right? Mm. And uh, and there's all kinds of people who are doing some interesting things. You know, everyone from like uh, Ushanasi Asset Management, mm. right? Mm. What, what Jim and Patrick are doing to um, guys like CoVenture, and they've got some you know really uh, unique things. Um, but the one thing that I don't see a lot of people um, going after is this idea of how does the asset management business change if you mm. have huge distribution channels, mm. right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's and, both and a huge participation base that didn't exist before. It, exactly, mm-hmm. and, and so um, I don't know what the answer to that is yet uh mm-hmm. where this is kind of like a live experiment frankly mm-hmm. <laughs> um but but uh we definitely see some uh, some pretty interesting things and i'll tell you one anecdote that uh absolutely blew my mind uh i won't say who it is but uh, i walked into a university endowment um with uh with one of our partners mark yusko and mark comes from the endowment world he's a legend in that mm-hmm. whole space and then we walked in everyone greeted him and uh, then the cio walked in cio is probably i'd guess like early 40s and he walks right over to me and goes what's up pomp and i was like what <laughs> Like, how do you know who I am? Why did you just use that nickname? Whatever. And he's like, oh, I listen to the podcast, yeah, read, yeah, blah, blah, yeah. whatever. And uh, and it was really fascinating for mm-hmm. somebody that I'd never met who, you know, I think of as uh, somebody that I could learn from yeah. and all that stuff to already know so much about mm-hmm. the way that we think, mm-hmm. the way that um, we're approaching things, things that we've mm-hmm. done when we walk in the door. Right. And so I think that, you know, those aspects are obviously very positive and, and helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, the There's a downside, though. Right. Like, you know, we make an investment and it mm-hmm. goes to zero mm-hmm. uh, in venture. It's mm-hmm. not a big deal. Like we mm-hmm. expect mm-hmm. a lot of the investments we do to go to zero. Mm-hmm. Well, when you get thrown to the Twitter trolls, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. They, they'll mm-hmm. hold it over your head. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, you invested in this company and it went to zero. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to kind of detach the uh, the benefits from the, the negative side. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it's just managing the psychology of, you know, I'm probably not so worried about the anonymous person on Twitter who's, mm-hmm. you know, there's one who literally has the name troll in their name. <laughs> you kind of know why they're there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, but I, I've, I've I've watched it from a distance and I think what you guys have done is pretty neat. Um, for that very reason, exactly what you said, that it, that it you know this is it is an antiquated business. We saw downtown Josh Brown do a lot of stuff, but this is still a little different. Like yeah, yeah. 
He's awesome, man. He's great. I mean, we love, you know, he's always been a big help to Coindesk and has come to our events. And and I think he's a really smart and and interesting person. Um, You know, but you know what? I'm going to call him out right now because he he recorded with us before. Josh, I hope you're listening to this. This guy told me he believes in ghosts more than aliens. (laughs) I'll never forget that. I've seen those ghost pictures, though. He's onto something. I saw one the other day that got me, too. I saw the, you know, those those personal cameras are catching people's ghosts all the time. Listen, he he was adamant about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, man, listen, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming. And uh, we're big fans of uh, everything you guys are doing at Coindesk. So uh, we'll have to do it again in the future. Great. Awesome. All right, guys. I appreciate listening to that episode. I enjoyed it and I hope you did too. Before we go, I want to remind you that it was brought to us by The Grove, a full service creative and design agency that has worked with companies like Block, Chamber of Digital Commerce, AAA, and the American Red Cross. You can check out more of their work at thegrove.co backslash pomp. Again, that's .co and not .com. Thegrove.co backslash pomp. Go check it out and let me know what you think. Hey everyone, Pomp here. If you like this episode of Off The Chain and want to help us take crypto to the top of the Apple, Spotify, and other podcast charts, please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. To review, simply go to the Off The Chain homepage, scroll down until you see the five blank stars. Taking 15 seconds to fill those stars in and leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us take the entire crypto ecosystem to the top of the charts. I appreciate you listening and see you next time on Off The Chain.